Looks like you got it. Yep. Hey, y'all, really exciting show tonight. And our uh, playing for Peanut Street continues ironically. Uh, also ironic is our guest is a Missouri native out of St. Louis. Uh, those of you that know anything about me know that I grew up in southwest Missouri and then recently moved to Clearwater, Florida from downtown St. Louis. So uh, glad to not only have a Missouri native, but a national radio host and the current Milwaukee Brewers postgame show host. And that is Matt Polly. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Matt Polly on air. Matt, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. Really excited to have you on the show. You bet, Tyler. Thanks for uh, having me. I appreciate it. No problem. So I want to start talking about, uh, obviously, growing up in St. Louis. Uh, you started off covering high school sports for the Post-Dispatch, which is the, the paper out of St. Louis, uh, when you were in high school. Talk to me a little bit about that and uh, growing up in Cardinal Country. Yeah, so uh, the way I kind of backed myself into that, I, I think I was a junior in high school, and I was looking for a job, and I, I think I saw a job posting in the actual St. Louis Post-Dispatch newspaper, and it was a job taking statistics for high school sports. And I applied for it, and turns out it was with the Post-Dispatch, and what it was was their high school sports department uh, would was in charge of basically the box scores that would run say on like a Saturday morning after a Friday night of high school football, all that data had to be entered the night before. So high school football coaches uh, would call up and they would, um, they would like read over the box score and you would be inputting all the data from that. And they also, all the sports did it, not just football. And that was also part of uh, there, there was also it was all part of also covering games because it was all part of a website and really it was it was a money making endeavor because when you were covering games you would be taking photos and then those photos could be sold as well but there was still writing of stories and everything so it started as me just like picking up the phone calls on on you know and, and inputting these box scores from coaches and then eventually I was actually out covering games and so forth so it was a it was pretty cool I mean I was. Um, I was what, 17 years old, 18 years old. And I had a byline, uh, in the post-dispatch for both photo credits and writing credits. So, uh, that was, uh, that was a really cool way to kind of start my, my, uh, journalism career. For sure. And who was the, uh, I'm not very familiar with like, the St. Louis sports scene, scene on, at the high school level, who was the dominant team in both, uh, football, basketball, and baseball, or who was kind of high school, everybody up there tried to model themselves after at that time. Yes, yeah, so I remember with basketball, there were two programs. Uh, there was Vashon, which was kind of an inner city St. Louis school. And then there was CBC, which was kind of a, a western suburb school. And uh, Vashon was coached by Floyd Irons, who was just a legendary basketball coach in, in St. Louis history. And I think CBC at that point was coached by Bob McCormick, if I remember correctly. Uh, DeSmet was another basketball program. Uh, that was really, really good. In fact, for people who, um, so people in, from your neck of the woods, because um, Missouri State basketball had a player by the name of uh, Blake Ahern, who people remember for his unbelievable uh, free throw shooting. He led the nation every year when he was at Missouri State in free throw shooting. He was my next door neighbor growing up. And he's now the uh, G League head coach for uh, Austin in the NBA G League. Uh, but he went to DeSmet. So that was another St. Louis area program that was uh, that was really, really good. I don't remember so much on from a 
from a football standpoint, like St. Louis schools from a state standpoint, I felt like didn't do quite as well in football. There was a lot more schools from like the southern part of the state and the western part of the state near Kansas City that seemed to do a little bit better in football. For sure. And and uh, going back to Blake Ahern, I, I remember him very uh, vividly. Um, he wasn't there, so I was a manager uh, for men's basketball at Missouri State. Uh, Blake was before my time, but you definitely uh, he's definitely still in the record books and fans definitely uh, think very highly of him. And and going along with that, too, uh, Missouri State also hosted the or they host every year the Tournament of Champions. And Vashon used to play a couple times uh, in that tournament and they were coached by a guy who had played in the NBA. Was that the same coach that you were referring to? No, I think you might be. Uh, it might be Anthony Bean that you're thinking of, uh, because actually Floyd actually went to jail. Uh, he he I think I think he cheated on his taxes or something. I don't know. It was it was something like that, and uh, he ended up in jail for a little while. And I think he's out now. But when he went to jail, he lost that job. Um, and one of the former uh, one of the former Vashon players, who I think went on to play maybe at St. Louis U, uh, became the head coach. I I've kind of lost contact, and you know I, I haven't lived in St. Louis so long. I have I have very little kind of emotional attachment to, uh, to St. Louis anymore. Most of my family has left St. Louis as well. So, uh, but, uh, that's from what I remember. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was that replaced Floyd. Got it. And, and so, uh, kind of staying on the St. Louis thing there. So you take a job at a uh, KFNS in St. Louis, you started as a board op and then you moved to doing reporting. Uh, can you talk to me about that transition and what made you want to go from that behind the scenes to now being on the air. Yeah. So I always wanted, I think I always wanted to do radio radio kind of, uh, was a family thing. My dad worked in radio actually at KMOX in St. Louis and, uh, worked with, uh, Harry Carey and, 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 uh, Chip Carey and, and Jack Buck and folks like that when they were, uh, when they were in St. Louis, I just, I always wanted to do radio and it got to a point where, I was kind of, it's funny, I was in high school and I was already kind of done with the, uh, with, with wanting to write and, and, and I enjoy writing. I just, I really wanted to do radio. So I got the opportunity. I was actually working at both jobs for uh, a little while and it got to a point where I had to choose one or the other. So I went with KFNS and created some great relationships there. There are people there who are just awesome to me. Mike Claiborne was there when I was there. Uh, Jay Randolph Jr. was there. Uh, Dave Green was there. Just uh, Bob Ramsey was working there at the time. And uh, folks, like I don't, I could fall down dead in front of Bob Ramsey right now, and I don't know if he would know who I was. But uh, still being a really young guy, those are the people who uh, really made an impact on on who I was as a broadcaster in the early going. I still see Claiborne fairly often because he's part of the Cardinals broadcast crew. So when uh, the Cardinals come into uh, Milwaukee for Brewers games, uh, I see Claibs, and that's awesome. I see Scott Warman sometimes. Scott Warman was there. And you know, he does stuff with uh, Fox Sports Midwest. So I run into him uh, every once in a while. So it's really fun because uh, I was in high school and I was working at KFNS and it started, I was doing weekend board hopping, uh, weekend overnight board hopping. That was the, that was the job. I was working from like midnight to 8 a.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. And that actually had a huge impact on my career. The guy who was the overnight host on ESPN radio at that point uh, was a guy by the name of John Chalesnik, 
who now runs um, an organization that helps people, helps sports broadcasters get jobs. And he was a, uh, I know we'll talk about this later, he was a graduate of Kansas State, and he and I started talking, like, as a board, as an overnight board op, what else are you going to do? So uh, he would, like, take emails and, and things like that, and I would end up emailing him, and we developed a little bit of a friendship and a relationship, and he had a had a large role in me even like taking a look at, at Kansas state. So, uh, it was, it was awesome. And I, I, I got to cover Cardinal games. I remember going out when the Rams were there, uh, covering Rams training camp and, and mini camp and things like that. So, uh, was, was a lot of fun. I, I, I did a lot of pre-produced packages. I, I did some updates. I did things like that and then continued to uh, work as a, a producer and board operator as well. Sounds like a fun time, and especially at that age being around, I'm sure you had opportunities to either go interview players or have interactions with players and maybe management and, and things of that nature. So it sounds like a, a great opportunity that would uh, lead you to Kansas State. Yeah, it's uh, and but yeah, it's fun. I look back on it sometimes. I think the uh, probably the most high profile person I ever got an interview with when I was um, when I was there at KFNS, I remember doing a one on one with uh with andy roddick he, the, he was playing in st louis they had world team tennis and st louis had a, a world team tennis team and roddick was there i don't even remember if he was playing for the st louis team or if he was playing for the other team i have no recollection but i remember they were going to give me a one-on-one -on -one with him i had to wait until after he got done with the match and then he had to go in for treatment and his treatment took darn near probably an hour and i was just sitting there waiting and then i'm 17, 18 years old, doing a one-on-one -on -one with one of the most famous uh, tennis players uh, in the world. And I wish, man, I wish I still had the audio of that. I, I, I would cringe listening to it. But yeah, I mean, I was 17, 18, and I got to cover a lot of really cool things. So that was, that was fun for me. Sounds like it. And, and so uh, you go to Kansas State, and you start doing some reporting there. Talk to me about spending your college career in Manhattan and, and being around the sports teams there. And what lessons did you learn that, you know, would go on to help you later in your career? Yeah, probably the best decision of my life to go to Kansas State. Manhattan, Kansas is a really, really special place. And uh, the, the the relationships I built there were important, like kind of just becoming a man, um, you, even like not to go too far off the beaten path, but even things like having uh, your faith challenged and uh, and learning what you really believe in and things like that. That that all happened during my time in college. And uh, I didn't want to go to the same high, same college that everybody from my high school was going to. And it seemed like half the high school uh, was going to Mizzou. And mm -hmm. then the Missouri Journalism Program is a fantastic program. But they've got this thing where basically you go to Mizzou and you take general education classes for like two years and then you have to get into the journalism program after that. Uh, so there's no even guarantee that you get into it. And at Kansas State, I was able to take journalism classes right away. And most importantly, I was able to get involved with the student radio station. And the student radio station uh, was really cool because they broadcast all football games, all Kansas State football games, home and away. Uh, and then they did... Um, men's and women's basketball, all home games for both, and then uh, a handful of road games as well. If they weren't playing at the same time, uh, you would uh, you would go and, um, and, and go on road trips. So uh, there I am doing Division One athletics as a you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old. Uh, eventually, uh, this kind of goes back to John Chelesnick. He, he, was, um, he, was, uh, he had connections to Kansas because of the Kansas State thing, so he had worked there, and he knew – 
the program director for the local AM station that was the K-State flagship and Manhattan High School sports and things like that. And he put in a call for me to a, a guy by the name of Matt Walters. And I got hired. So I was doing the student radio station stuff. And then I also uh, was doing a, a regular commercial radio station where I did sports updates. And I was a board op again. And I was uh, doing all kinds of things. So uh, and I, I worked a lot. And then they had music radio stations. I started doing that. I, I was a country music DJ and a top 40 music DJ. And uh, just got all these different opportunities to do lots of different things. So uh, when, I, when I look back on my education, the, the actual education at Kansas State was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But it was really all the stuff that I was doing outside of school, whether it was the student radio station, whether it was the the small town radio station. I always tell people, I think it's a I think you learn really important lessons when you work in small towns when it comes to like high school sports. And this this applies to radio. This applies to newspapers. This applies to anything, because these are these are big deals to to people in the community. And these are not professional athletes. Like I re- I think I remember I was doing a high school basketball broadcast once, and, and I don't know if I used the term brutal or, or just whatever it was, but I referred to something a kid was doing the way, in, in a negative way, the way uh, an NBA broadcaster or a major college broadcaster would be doing. And there was some real negative reaction from coaches and parents and things like that. And my boss brought me in and he talked to me about it, and it was a fantastic learning lesson for me because. You, you don't say those things. And really, quite honestly, I've taken that throughout my career. I do not say anything on the radio that I would not say to somebody's face. And what I've learned is, especially professional athletes, if they're not playing well, they know it, right? Like they, there's, they're, they're their worst critics. So if you're fair, you're not going, you're, you're not going to be put down, and you're not going to be viewed as being not fair or being mean spirited or anything like that. And those those lessons, the way I handle athletes now, as somebody who's been in this business for a really long time and is covering the sport at the absolute highest level, the the lessons that I learned working in in small towns is what really stuck with me as I've continued through my career. Definitely, and and uh, as you kind of got your your career started there you know between st louis and kansas state you would go on to evansville evansville indiana uh home of the frontier league evansville otters so now you're you're in professional baseball it's independent league so these organizations aren't uh affiliated with a major league organization but it's still considered professional baseball and it's either guys who we've talked about it on this podcast before it's either guys who maybe got overlooked in the draft who are trying to get into affiliated ball for the first time, or it's guys who, you know, were just released out of affiliated ball and trying to get back in. So your first job, again, was play-by-play with the Otters. Talk about that season. Greg Jokes was the manager. He spent a little bit of time in Philadelphia with the Phillies as a player, um, and they would go on to win the Frontier League that year. Yeah, so, man, what a that's one of those uh, – I am still thankful to be working in baseball after uh, what went down in, in, in Evansville. So I, I love the city of Evansville, and I created some really cool relationships and friendships uh, when I was there. I'll be honest with you, though. I was, I was a little big for my britches going in. And um, so I left, a, I, you know, even once uh, I was getting set to graduate from college, I, was, I had a great job uh, you know, set up. I uh, was still working there in Manhattan and everything, but I really, really wanted to do baseball. And um, 
So I went there to be a number two broadcaster. It was an unpaid internship where all they took care of was my housing. And what that was was a small little room in a in a house just off the campus of University of Evansville uh, that I shared with a bunch of different people. And I, I don't even know how I ended up in that house, but that was it. That was um, so I was not getting paid and. Uh, it was it was fun. The ballpark. So Bossy Field, where the Otters play, a lot of the movie A League of Their Own was filmed there. Mm. And it's uh, one of the oldest ballparks in the country. Uh, it Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, I think Luther Williams Field in Macon, Georgia uh, is is right there as well. And then and then that in terms of the oldest operational ballparks uh, in the United States. And they actually left a lot of the. Uh, the stuff that was used in the filming. So when you're in that ballpark, it feels like you're on the set of a league of their own, like the, the uncle Sam, we want you and, and that, that sort of stuff. So it was really cool. They've, they, they're like promo team, dance team, that sort of thing. They were called the Otter Bells and the uniforms that they wore mimic the uh, baseball uniforms that were worn in a league of their own. So it was really cool. Um, I, I had a situation there where uh, we got about midway through the season. And again, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't getting paid or anything. And we, um, the power actually got cut off where I was living and I had just done some grocery shopping the day before and everything was just ruined and destroyed. And I I, like didn't know what I was going to do. My parents were sending me a little bit of money, but uh, I was, I was really struggling there and I was the number two broadcaster. I wasn't the number one broadcaster there. So I went in and had a conversation with the general manager where I, I, I probably could have been a lot more courteous than I actually was. And uh, we had a conversation about the power getting cut out and me losing all the food and everything I paid for. And I was this free employee of theirs. And uh, the conversation uh, did not go well. And I made the decision to, uh, to walk away from that job about midway through the season. And I did not finish the season there. Uh, in Evansville. And it's actually, it's still one of my, one of my major regrets because they did win a championship. Now the, uh, the owner of the team, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bill Bussing, who is just a a fantastic guy. uh, They, they, they allowed me to still get a ring. I had to pay for the ring, but I I still got the ring because uh, I was a little bit a part of it uh, during the year. And uh, they realized some things that were going on after I left, but uh, it was, yeah, I left midway through the year. It was a really fun year. Um, I, I don't know if I'd be where I am right now had I lasted the year because the number one broadcaster left at the end of the season and I probably would have been offered that job and that probably would have put me on a very different trajectory than I ended up in. Uh, but yeah, that's my, that's my Evansville story where uh, midway through the season, living in a place that got the power cut off, I finally said enough is enough and uh, I left. For sure. And talking a little bit more about Evansville. So we had uh, Phil Warren on. Phil uh, has been the manager for the Gateway Grizzlies uh, just across the river in Sajay, Illinois. Um, And he was talking on the podcast. He actually mentioned Evansville and he said one of the I don't know if it was the actors in a league of their own or one of the or a famous baseball player that had played there. Uh, had actually signed their name in the dugout, and it's still there. Uh, I don't know if you know that story, and I can't recall who it was, but I just thought that was very interesting, too. So it just validates you know, what you were saying about uh, it's a very historic ballpark over there in Evansville, Indiana. Yeah, I'm not sure who that was. Uh, you know, they, were, they were an affiliated baseball team for a while. I, be- 
maybe with the Tigers. I'm trying to remember who they were. It was the, uh, gosh, I can't remember. Uh, but but as as happens so often, and you know, it, it's interesting. We're talking about this right now because we're, we're recording this interview the day uh, that Major League Baseball has announced the 120 minor league affiliates, and uh, that's going to result in a lot of teams that have been uh, affiliated with Major League Baseball not having major league affiliation anymore. And then some of those teams are going to go become independent league teams. That's really happened. You know, that, that happened in Albany with, uh, in Albany, yep. Georgia, where they had the polecats and everything. And eventually, uh, facilities have to be kept to a certain level. And there's always somebody in another city that's willing to build a brand new ballpark and teams move away. So that's kind of what happened in Evansville. It got to a point where, you know, bossy field being the old ballpark that it was, it was not going to fit anymore in terms of affiliated baseball. It just wasn't a good enough facility for that. But in terms of independent baseball, it was uh, it was a whole lot of fun, and it was a it was a really good. Uh, I, I, they got a lot of support. The crowds were good. People cared about the Otters. For sure, and and you just mentioned Albany, Georgia, and and again, it's ironic the streak continues of uh, people we've had on who were in the uh, playing for peanuts documentary. And again, if you haven't listened to any of my podcasts and you're listening to this one, it's my favorite baseball documentary. It's a 10 episode documentary uh, directed by John Fitzgerald, who we had on last podcast uh, that followed uh, the South Georgia peanuts around during the 2007 season and the South coast league, the league only lasted a year. So Matt uh, definitely want to talk a lot about this uh, because I find it very, very interesting. Um, Talk to me about Albany, Georgia in, in that season. What a, I just have to say, too, what a fun season just on the outside that that was and people I've had on my podcast. I mean, that's something that I would have loved to have been a part of and been around. So talk to me about, about that and, and uh, Albany, Georgia. Yeah, it was great summer. So coming out of the Evansville thing, you know, I, again, kind of big for my britches when, uh, when, when I walked out of there thinking that it was going to be no problem and I would find another job and everything. And, uh, I was back living with my parents in the St. Louis area and all of a sudden and I'm applying for baseball jobs and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, like, it's just like, nothing's happening. I was not having a lot of success, uh, in the job market. And, I started freaking out a little bit. I started thinking about extra. I, I actually thought about moving to Chicago to start studying at Second City to try to do improv comedy. That's uh, that's that, nothing ever came of that. But as I was I was even at that age, I was only a, you know, a year out of college. I'm already like looking at career mortality. And I think it's all because uh, of the way I handled uh, my exit in, in Evansville. And I go to the baseball winter meetings. And I love this story. It's funny. Uh, I, I went to the baseball winter meetings and I flew out of Kansas City to go to the uh, winter meetings. And I had a college friend who um, worked for Delta and I was flying Delta and she gave me a couple free drink coupons. And I've never like I'd never had a drink on a plane in my life, but I had the coupons. So I had a couple beers on the plane and then I get into uh, the baseball winter meetings and they are in Orlando at Disney World. And um, I had a couple drinks. So I got to the hotel. I was like, oh, I'll go down to the hotel bar and I'll have a couple more drinks. And I, I, I 
we, there was a bunch of people there and we, we started talking and everything and we ended up becoming like pretty good, like four day friends where we were all there together for a few days. And one of the guys I met was a guy by the name of Charlie Beatty, who had, uh, who later on accepted a job in the South coast league as the broadcaster for, uh, the, the team in Port Charlotte, Florida. And he put in a good word for me in the, with the league. And that's how I ended up in South Georgia he left uh, that that situation in 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 Charlotte County was not exactly a great situation. And before the season even got started, uh, he was there for like maybe I don't even know if he was there two weeks, but he got the heck out of there uh, when, um, when 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 he got there. But he was there long enough to put in a good word for me. And at that point, I think South Georgia was the only team that had not uh, found a broadcaster. So I had no clue that we were going to have this. Uh, you know, the show that was following us throughout the year, I had no clue that Wally Backman was going to be our manager. Like everything that was about to happen, uh, I had no clue. And I remember uh, my mom had a van and I took all my stuff down. I still have pictures of this. It's really funny. So I took most of my stuff down uh, in my mom's van and I just dropped it off in the middle of the visiting clubhouse. And then I worked for a few days and then I drove my mom's van back to St. Louis and picked up my car. I drive a Jeep Wrangler and you just, you can't put Wrangler is not very big. You can't put much stuff in. And then I drove back down and I was able to, to get all my stuff. But yeah, I dropped all my stuff off inside the visiting clubhouse at the ballpark. I lived in a hotel for a little while. Eventually I lived in a house with, uh, I think three or four of the other uh, folks from the team, including a guy by the name of uh, Emil Williams jr. Who is my broadcast partner and is still uh, a really, really close friend of mine. And, you know, Albany had everything that you needed. It was, it's not a bad city. I, I mispronouncing it, by the way. It's not Albany. It's Albany. Uh, when you're from there, it's Albany. Uh, it's not Albany the way most people would say it from, uh, from outside. But uh, fun season. Obviously, they won a championship. The cameras were around. The personalities on that team were incredible. Uh, it was, I learned so much about baseball from, from Wally, who it, to, to this day, I've worked with a lot of baseball people. I don't know if I worked with a better wa- uh, baseball person uh, than Wally Backman. And, um, you know, we, we became fairly close during, uh, during that summer. And it was just, it was so much fun. Like, it, I can't think of a more fun summer than I had than that summer uh, and just really, really enjoyed it. For sure. And just watching the documentary. So I, uh, I actually took a trip to Albany, Georgia this past weekend. I was kind of telling you a little bit about that, uh, about that as we were setting this up and everything. Um, and it, it, the town was like what you said, everything you would expect. They've got everything there. Um, you know, if there's, there's a church on every corner. One of the players said, you know, every corner there's a church and he's not lying, you know, and there's places to eat on every corner. Um, I was a little disappointed because there was a big gate blocking the the ballpark and the ballpark kind of sits back in the woods. So you really can't see much. So that was a little disappointing, but uh, it definitely looked like um, just the pictures and and the documentary that it was a fun ballpark uh, in a fun town. And the, the, the fans showed up, I think Macon had the highest attendance that year, but uh, you know, the, the peanuts had a lot of support from people in that community too. Absolutely. Uh, good fans enjoyed it. You know, good baseball too. Uh, we, we got kind of well-known within the, uh, within the community as well. Like there was a, there was a handful of bars or restaurants that we would go to and, and people knew kind of who we were when we came in and everything. It was, 
it, it's a smaller city, clearly, but it, it, it felt big time at the moment, I think, for, for a lot of us that were there. And again, I think that goes back to Wally, because uh, when he's involved with something, it does feel uh, larger than life. And uh, you mentioned, yeah, churches all over the place. And it was just, it, it, I think it's kind of the, you know, the southern city from, from central casting. And there were there were some things about the uh, city that were frustrating at times. You mentioned the ballpark being uh, closed off. So uh, that it wasn't like that when I was there. But the ballpark was actually kind of in a weird area because it was just <laughs> off the highway. But it wasn't it wasn't around like a populated area. It wasn't in a commercial area. It was just this base. There was it's part of a complex. I think there were four, five, six baseball fields back there. And most of them are just used for little league and, and look like any little league ballpark you would have. But then the centerpiece of it all uh, was the was the main ballpark where uh, the peanuts actually played. And uh, the area, there'd be crime in that area. I remember uh, the, our ballpark offices got broken into at one point one night and computers got stolen and everything. Uh, I remember one time I, I actually overslept a bus and we would park our cars at a local church so we'd go to the ballpark, we'd get all our stuff, then we'd get in our cars and we'd drive to the church and then that's where the bus would pick us up because we knew that if we left the uh, if we left our cars at the ballpark, they would absolutely get broken into while we were uh, on the road. And there was a time where I overslept and I had to leave my car at the ballpark and I remember, uh, opening up the outfield gate, unlocking it because I had keys to everything and actually pulling my car like into the stadium. And it was down like the left field side. It wasn't on the actual playing field, but it was very close as just a way to hopefully not have my car get broken into while I was on the, uh, while I was on the road. But yeah, that's, I'm sorry that you went and you didn't get to see it because I think it is kind of, yeah, it's kind of what I said earlier with Bossy Field and Evansville. You've seen a league of their own. It's really cool to, to walk into that ballpark. If you've seen playing for peanuts, I think it's cool to be able to actually go see that ballpark. For sure. And, and having to ask this too, as I was kind of driving around the town um, in that area in particular. So there's a lake that sits behind and there was like a big parking lot where people could like, you know, like a boat, boat launch. People could, you know, take their boats out on the lake. And then I came around a corner and it appeared, I haven't really talked to any, you know, John or anybody about it, but it appeared that there was a, the housing complex, the team, you know, they showed in the first episode, it appeared it was kind of behind the ballpark as you're going like past the lake and through, there's like a little neighborhood back there. Would that have been that housing complex? It looked pretty much like it was on the documentary, but I'm not quite sure. I don't think so because I only went to the housing complex once. It was after the season ended. And I remember going to the housing complex because we wanted to clean things up a little bit before we handed it back over to whoever owned it. And if I remember, I thought it was a pretty long drive from the uh, ballpark, but I could be wrong. I mean, we're, that's a long time ago. I, I don't yeah. remember it again. I'd only been to that complex once. I didn't live uh, in that complex. So it might've been, I, for some reason in my mind, I feel like it was further away from the ballpark. Got it. And, and talking a couple more, uh, another story or two from that documentary. So there's one uh, scene there where uh, Bubba Birdsong, who we've had on, uh, was pranked with a uh, snake in the shoebox, and you yeah. were uh, you were in on it, or at least I knew you knew something because uh, when they're doing the shot of him opening the box, you're kind of, if I recall, you're the one who's kind of standing up on a chair, or somebody was standing up on a chair, kind of looking in, 
And then uh, I believe you were out by the car when they were trying to retrieve the snake. Uh, so can you kind of talk to me a little bit about about that scenario? And, and uh, were, was there anything on that with that scene that we didn't see that might be interesting? No, I think that got it. Uh, you know, I man, you're, we're going back here. I, <laughs> I remember that happening because I kind of came in halfway through on it like they had it was an elaborate plan and then eventually i kind of heard what was going on when i would see uh when i would see guys kind of bunched together and the cameras around i would always become naturally curious as to uh what was going on with it so i was more of a bystander on that than than anything else uh just watching what was going on but it was there was always things like that going on it was just um whether it was pranks, whatever what else it might be, just we were always having fun. There's a million stories. There's, you know, I remember, oh man, one of my favorite stories from it. I remember there was, uh, there was a night where um, Wally and I were sitting in the dugout after after a game, and we didn't really know who was going to pitch the next day, and Wally said something like. Man, it sure would be too bad if uh, if the tarp came off the uh, mound. So it wasn't the full tarp. It was mm-hmm. uh, sometimes we we had such a a small staff. Sometimes we would not be able to uh, fully pull the tarp at times where you would want to, and then a little bit of rain would come down, and the folks who were doing the grounds crew work, who late in the season ended up being some of the players, which is ridiculous, would have even more work to do. But I, I just I remember vividly. Uh, him saying that, like, oh, it'd be too bad if the if that tarp came off the pitcher's mound and the ballpark was completely dark, nobody was around, and I remember running out to the mound and pulling the the tarp off the mound, and uh, Emil, my broadcast partner, who also served as the home clubhouse attendant, how about that for a, a combination, <laughs> broadcaster slash clubhouse attendant, I remember he was walking up uh, he had finished his clubhouse stuff, and he was going back up to the press box, I guess, to grab uh, something. And he looked down, and he saw me pulling the tarp off. And I, I don't know if we played the next day or not. I, I don't even remember if it worked. But it was just stuff like that was kind of always going on, just really fun memories, crazy stuff, wacky stuff. It was independent baseball. Uh, as the season wore on, um, just – it. Um, there, you know, the the league was not the best run league in the history of the world. That's probably why it only existed for one year. So all of a sudden, it was kind of a a team against the front office thing, and 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 I was kind of stuck in the middle. And uh, but I kind of sided with the team because I traveled with them and everything. And it was just it was a fun environment because when there was that kind of us against the world sort of thing, it almost insulated us even more. Where there was kind of a a bubble and. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling on at this point in time, but I, I, I can't tell you how much uh, that summer meant to me and how much fun it was. Definitely, definitely. And that was going to be my uh, last question about that was the travel. So you did travel with the team and, and you were, you know, were you staying, you know, same hotel with the team? Were you, the guys, would they interact with you on the bus or, or at the hotel? You mentioned, you know, in Albany, sometimes you guys would go out to maybe a bar or something. Was it the same on the road or, or kind of talk to me a little bit about the travel in that league? Yeah, so I, I actually I coordinated the travel as the as the front office person that was there. When you're an affiliated minor league baseball, generally it is the athletic trainer 
that uh, that does the uh, traveling coordination, traveling secretary, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of times in independent ball, the broadcaster ends up being that person. So I was the one who I made the room list and I uh, sent them, you know, faxed it over to the hotels and things like that. And uh, I was on the bus and, and I stayed in the same hotel. And uh, depending on how many rooms we would get, there were times where I was rooming with the players, you know, something that. Something that was fun about that that I'll never experience again for the rest of my life is I was basically the same age as those players. So this was true there. This was a little bit true in my next stop in Burlington, Iowa, but that was that was it. So I was the same age as those guys and they became my friends and we would uh, we would go out at the same time. We'd go grab beers and and we'd have fun. You know, the. there's the scene in the uh, in the in the documentary where we're at the bar at uh, in uh, in Florida doing the the lobster grabbing and the karaoke. I w- I was there with them when they were doing that, so uh, I'd be with them. Uh, not all the time. I wasn't. You know, they were obviously closer with with each other than they were with me. But I, we were friends, and uh, there was nobody else really to hang out with. So uh, the the motels that we would stay at were not were not great. And that's just kind of the way it is. I, the same thing existed later on in my in my life in minor league baseball. That's not unique to uh, to independent league baseball. Uh, there were times where we would have long bus rides and we would get into a hotel, say at eight in the morning. I remember we would make the trip from Port Charlotte, Florida, all the way up to Anderson, South Carolina, and that's a that's a long bus ride. So that that's at least twelve hours. Uh, so we would, you know, get on the bus, maybe not 12 hours, maybe 10 hours, but it's a long bus ride nonetheless. So we would get on the bus after the game and we would, we would drive through the night and we'd get into the hotel eight, nine o'clock in the morning and they wouldn't have our rooms ready for us because hotel rooms aren't ready until generally, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. So we would all just be sitting in the lobby waiting for the rooms to get ready. And then finally they would, and we'd be back playing, uh, that night. So it was, uh, it wasn't glamorous, that's for sure, but it was. Uh, that's the way you travel in baseball, and and that's okay. For sure. And so you uh, moved on from from Albany, and you uh, started working your way up through affiliated ball, starting with uh, the Burlington Bees, and then uh, went up to Colorado Springs, which I believe at the time was AAA affiliate of the Rockies, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so kind of talk to me about those two stops, and then you mentioned you were doing uh, Air Force basketball. Uh, so you were you know, still in pro ball, affiliated ball, but you were also doing some uh, college basketball on the side and, and a little bit of high school too. So kind of talk to me about being a quote unquote, jack of all trades uh, there in Colorado. And then your time in Burlington. Yeah. So um, I, the season got over in Georgia and I, I went back to St. Louis and lived with my parents again. And I did some high school broadcasting for a, a small little radio station, actually in Sparta, Illinois, which is just across the border uh, from from St. Louis over on the Illinois side of things. Uh, and I started uh, looking for for baseball jobs. And uh, I actually got a basketball job. I started broadcasting Southeastern Community College basketball in West Burlington, Iowa. And that JUCO basketball program is the most winningest program in the history of junior college basketball. No program has more wins than that program. So I moved there just to broadcast basketball. So I'm in Burlington, and as as I'm there, and I'm still looking for baseball jobs, I'm in Burlington, and all of a sudden 
the broadcaster for the Burlington Bee is a guy by the name of Randy Wayhofer. Uh, he gets the job with the Iowa Cubs, which is a triple-A team in Des Moines. So he leaves. So they have a broadcaster job opening. And I was already in town, so it made a lot of sense. I was the broadcaster for the local uh, JUCO basketball team. So they hired me to do that while I was there. Uh, I worked with the radio stations. We had a cluster of, I think, four or six radio stations, and I kind of took over the uh, just operating and programming all their all their sports programming that they had and uh, put together a plan to broadcast high school sports and, and, and things like that. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, I did. They I lost my job at the radio station. I got laid off. There were some financial issues there at the station. Uh, I ended up getting laid off at the radio station. The baseball team at that point, uh, we had a conversation about whether or not I was going to stay on and, and come back to do baseball. They thought it might be a little bit uncomfortable if um, I'm, you know, I got laid off from the radio station and I'm still around the radio station doing the baseball. So that's when. Uh, so again, I moved back with my parents, St. Louis. If that is uh, not a that that was a trend there early on in my career. Uh, started applying for jobs, and um, I found out about. Colorado Springs, and I I got the interview there. I flew out to Colorado Springs, uh, met with their number one broadcaster, a guy by the name of Dan Karcher, who is absolutely one of the single best baseball play-by-play guys you will ever hear, and uh, he should absolutely be a Major League Baseball play-by-play broadcaster. He is supremely talented, and uh, met with him, and then at the same time, I also got an interview with... Um, the uh, the Dayton Dragons in the Midwest League. I'd already been in the Midwest League, and they know who I was. And uh, I thought that AAA interview went awesome, but they needed to wait on some things to make a decision on if they were going to uh, hire me, hire somebody else. And the Dragons offered me the job, but gave me an ultimatum. They were like, "We have to. We need an answer by this amount of time." And I was not going to get the answer from Colorado Springs in time to, uh, to to make a decision between the two. So I gambled and I turned down Dayton on the hope uh, and the belief that I was going to get the Colorado Springs job, uh, uh-huh. which I did. And uh, I, Colorado Springs was as much of a blessing as you can have. I mean, when I was in Colorado Springs, I started working uh, there as the, the number two broadcaster for the Sky Sox. And then... Uh, I got brought on by the radio station. Eventually, uh, I was hosting a sports talk show on the station. Uh, then I was brought in to be part of the uh, Air Force basketball crew, as you mentioned. So I was doing Air Force basketball. Uh, eventually, I got promoted to program director of uh, the radio station there in Colorado Springs. So I was doing the afternoon drive time talk show. I was programming the station. I was doing the Sky Sox. I was doing Air Force. And then I did a lot of uh, high school games and some, like college games uh, on uh, local cable telecast, uh, and it was just I met my wife there, um, and so like I, I just can't tell you. I, I said earlier how you know I don't have a lot of connection to St. Louis anymore. I don't have family, things like that. Uh, in terms of the place that I really have connection to uh, outside of where I'm at right now in Milwaukee, where I absolutely love living, but at that kind of that second place. And uh, my wife's family is still there and we just have great friends there. It's Colorado Springs. And I do have some family there too. I have a, I have three sets of cousins who uh, who live there. It was just a coincidence that uh, I got a job where they were at, but I was able to kind of rekindle the, the family relationship with them. And uh, it was just, it was great. It was, it was a great six years of my life. And 
Uh, eventually, the Rockies wanted out of Colorado Springs. It's not a great ballpark situation. Uh, and that's when the Brewers came in for my final year there. And that was kind of the, the connection here, which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. But I can't say enough things uh, about just the uh, I, I mentioned earlier the impact that Kansas State had on my life kind of as a as a person. I think it's equal uh, kind of a who I am and where I'm at about uh, my time in Colorado Springs. Definitely. And, and uh, I appreciate you sharing your story there. And for our listeners, uh, before we kind of get into this final segment, uh, talking about Milwaukee, uh, for our listeners who are maybe, um, so I try to really talk about the importance of networking and, and what it takes to make it to the, the quote unquote, the big league level and whatever it is, whether it's sports or, or the corporate world. Um, so it sounds like a lot of it was obviously hard work first and foremost, but then a lot of connections you had. Um, and then, you know, just taking a leap of faith. So if you wouldn't mind spending a minute or two, just kind of giving any advice you might have back on your career uh, to our listeners and how it might uh, affect them positively in, in their uh, life. Yeah, I think believe in yourself is is my number one thing. Now, uh, I, I believed in myself when I uh, turned down the, the, the Dayton job. Um, my move to Milwaukee, actually. I, I don't advertise this too often, but I, I took about 90% pay cut to move to Milwaukee. And I was married at the time. So my wife had to, uh, had to go along with that. I noticed a trend because my goal is to become a, a major league baseball play-by-play broadcaster. And I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm still very hopeful and I'm still working towards that. Um, but I noticed a trend that people play-by-play broadcasters in minor league baseball who were in minor league baseball too long we're getting typecast as minor league baseball broadcasters, whereas a lot of the big league play-by-play jobs are starting to go to pre and post hosts who are already working in major league baseball. So that was part of the reason that uh, that that I made the move to Milwaukee. It was a gamble. It was a risk. It was me believing in myself and believing that it was going to turn in well, trusting in God too. That's a I, I am a person of faith and uh, trying my best to be able to to listen to His direction for my life and seeing what doors are open and, and what doors I need to walk through and things like that. Uh, but that would be um, now what the move I made to to Milwaukee where I took that ridiculous pay cut. I couldn't do that now. I've got uh, I've got a, I've got a daughter. Like that was my one time to do that, where I had to find a way to convince my wife, where she had a great job, living in the city where her family was from. Uh, I had a great job, and I'm like, hey, let's let's move to Wisconsin, where we don't know anything, and I'm gonna make very very little money for a part time job. Like that's that that's something you can't do a lot. But I that was a one time thing. So I'm again I'm going on and on and on. But I think the big thing is absolutely uh believing in yourself i don't not being delusional you know if you're if you graduated high school yesterday uh don't don't not go to college because you're going to go get a major league baseball play-by-play job that's not what i'm talking about but taking advantage of those opportunities even if there's a little bit of risk involved i think more often than not is going to pay off definitely and and can you kind of talk about and i appreciate you uh, sharing that with our listeners and myself uh, uh for that matter um, can you kind of talk about your day to day? What's the day in the life of Matt Polly on a Brewers? You know, it's a Brewers home game, six uh, ten against the Cubs. What uh, what's your day look like? Yeah, it's so um, that's 
no day looks the same. I'll, I'll, let me start by saying that. And I do work. Uh, I work for Sports Map Radio Network, which is a national radio network, and that's what I I do sports updates throughout the day. So when we're talking about uh, during baseball season, uh, a, a normal average day for me uh, looks like I get up around between five thirty and six thirty, and I go into my home studio. Uh, I, I literally do hundreds of sports updates for radio stations across the country, and I, I'm doing that throughout the day. I get done with that generally around 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Um, it depends. Uh, so I always do post-game. I'm the, I'm the brewer. I, I do a post-game show for, for pretty much every Brewers game. Uh, there is a local pre-game show that sometimes I host, sometimes I don't. I share it with somebody else at the radio station. So if I am hosting that show uh, I get to the ballpark uh, at the absolute latest at five o'clock. So a couple hours after I'd finished, I try to in that period, I might get a nap. I might try to work out. I, uh, if I need to run some errands or go to a doctor or whatever it might be, uh, that couple hours between three and five is when I do it. Uh, if I'm not hosting that pregame show, uh, I generally don't get to the ballpark till maybe uh, six o'clock or so, like an hour before uh, an hour before the game. And I just, during the game, I'm watching it. I'm in the press box. If they're on the road, uh, I'm doing everything uh, remotely. So I don't travel with the team. I'm either at the studio or I'm able to work out of my home studio. Uh, but when they're at home, I'm, I'm doing that. And then once the game comes to an end, uh, the Brewers network broadcast goes about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and then I go on for between an hour, an hour and a half uh, doing a post-game show. Uh, I'm at Miller Park. Once that gets done, uh, I then have to get, I'm either at home or I have to get home. And at that point, I start cutting up post-game audio. And I send that to uh, our radio stations, not just locally in Milwaukee, but some radio stations, one of the radio stations that my company owns uh, outside of the market. That takes an hour or so to get that all put together. I voice some raps that are used in the morning. So by the time that's over, if it's a normal, say, like three-hour game, we're talking 1, 1.30, I'm in bed by 2.00. And I'm back up at 536 o'clock in the morning. So that's a that is a day during the baseball season. And I do that all year long. So it is a uh, it is a long, long day for me. Definitely. And I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. And it's definitely uh, the life of a uh, broadcaster. Anybody who's affiliated with the team and, and kind of that press uh, press capacity. Uh, those are definitely long days. And uh, we uh, as fans, I think, don't quite um uh, see that all the time so we we definitely appreciate it for sure appreciate the work that goes into it yeah it's uh i'm glad to do it and you know it's um i have to have the full-time job because i, I you know the, the the brewer's job is a is a half a year job and a half a year job doesn't pay the bills and put food on the table so uh, i and it's not a situation where I'm going to do that job for six months and then go find another job for the other six months. So uh, as I continue to pursue my dream of being a, a Major League Baseball play-by-play broadcaster, it's really important that I continue to uh, do the stuff that I do with WTMJ and do the stuff that I do with the Brewers. So it just creates a tough situation because I have my full-time job during the day, and then I've got all the Brewer stuff that I do that uh, is full-time hours during the baseball season. Uh, it's it's really more hours than my other job. I, I rarely work uh, 40 hours or less uh, during a baseball season with Brewers-related stuff. So my my average work week uh, during baseball season is r- around 90 hours, and 
Uh, there are times that there are double headers or really, really long games, or uh, if I'm doing some fill-in hosting on the network in addition to my sports updates, uh, there have been weeks where I'm putting in 110-hour work weeks. And I don't say that to complain. I don't say that to say, you know, look at me, look how hard I work. I say that is that's kind of the, the life we're in, and that's the uh, it's um, it's really fun. It is a blast. I love baseball. I have devoted my career to baseball. But to say that sometimes it's not tiring would not be true. Definitely, definitely. Um, hey, you ready for a Tyler's Five? And it's just uh, random questions that have absolutely nothing to do with anything. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. All right. Uh, first question, Old Bush Stadium or New Bush Stadium? Oh, um, probably Old Bush Stadium. Uh, that's that's where that's where I fell in love with baseball. And yeah, it's kind of weird uh, when you work in minor league baseball. I you know I, I grew up watching the Cardinals. I grew up rooting for the Cardinals. I don't. There's not that rooting interest anymore. And um, it, you know, there's no conflict of interest or anything when it comes to uh, to me working uh, with the Brewers. But I I, I definitely do appreciate growing up in St. Louis and uh, going to games and my dad teaching me how to score and, and all those memories that I have for the most part are from uh, original Bush stadium. I can actually, I remember sleeping outside of Bush stadium for playoff tickets one year when I was in, uh, when I was in high school. So uh, yeah, those are, uh, those are where the memories were made for me from a baseball standpoint. For sure. Um, second question, favorite fast food. So do you have any, uh, I would go, does, does Chipotle count as fast food? Definitely. We'll go with it. Okay. Chipotle uh, would be number one. If you did not take Chipotle, if you considered that fast casual, uh, I would probably go Chick-fil-A for uh, true fast food. So one of those two, whichever one you want. Got it. Uh, question number three, if you could have dinner with one person, who would it be and why? Ooh, man. Um... You know, probably, um, probably Arnie Johnson from TNT. I love his story. Um, I love, I think he's a fantastic broadcaster. Uh, he is a, um, I, I look up to him. So again, I, 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 I don't mean to keep bringing up faith stuff, but, um, but I will hear because he's somebody who, one of my challenges as a sports broadcaster is like, how do I, how do I find a way to glorify God when I'm a sports broadcaster? Like, I'm talking about baseball. Where does where does God fit in and all that? And I look at Ernie, and I feel like how he lives his life and his faith, like it just it comes out, and I, I always appreciate that about him. And I've I've been able to talk to him a little bit. Occasionally, he ends up at Miller Park uh, doing a game for for TNT or TBS, and uh, we've had you know quick little minute, minute and a half conversations in the, in the press box hallway, but a, a guy that I would just want to go to dinner with and be able to talk to for a while, uh, that would probably be the guy. Awesome. That's a, that's a great story and a, and a great pick. Um, fourth question, favorite state. Ooh, my favorite place to vacation is San Diego without a doubt. Okay. Number, number one, um, Last time we went there, we actually stayed at Hotel Del Coronado, which is just an amazing, amazing, amazing place. So, um, but I don't love the state of California overall. I love the city of San Diego. I, yeah, I, I 
Wisconsin is fantastic where I'm living. I, I, I love being here. I love living here. I love the, the uniqueness of all the different parts of the state, too. Uh, you, you get up north, and it's very different than, say, if you get out west, and, and there's a lot of uniqueness to it. It's the places I've lived. I love Colorado, too. So uh, that, I'm, I'm not giving you answers. I'm just giving you, like, multiple options. But that's those are the places I really like to be, uh, and I, I think they're special places. Definitely, definitely. And uh, like I said, these questions, uh, I forgot to preface it by saying these questions aren't meant to be easy either. So, uh, but uh, always appreciate the, when they, the questions turn into open dialogue that always uh, makes the connection or the get to know you much more interesting for sure. Uh, last question, favorite NBA or NHL arena? Okay, so that's a good question. All right. Um, you know, my favorite NHL team is the St. Louis Blues. They're the one like St. Louis team that I still have like major affection for. That's not, uh, I, I have, I have my, my fandom exists in two areas, uh, Kansas state sports and Mm -hmm. St. Louis blues hockey. So, but Scott trade center is, is okay. I probably like the Pepsi center more than Scott trades. And I'm just thinking through a different, uh, you know, in Denver, home of the Avalanche and home of the Nuggets. I don't even think it's called Pepsi Center anymore. They've renamed it recently. I can't even think of uh, what it's called. But the 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 arena formerly known as uh, as the Pepsi Center would that be number one? I think. Um, let me see. Yeah. Um, I, well, college basketball venues. When I was in the Mountain West, I loved going to Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas. I loved mm-hmm. going to Vias Arena. In San Diego, I love going to the pit in New Mexico. Yep. Uh, those are all fantastic places to to watch a basketball game. But in terms of NBA or NHL, I'd probably go to whatever the heck Pepsi Center is now called. Definitely, and you're talking about the pit. So my first year managing men's basketball at Missouri State, um, and I'll preface it by saying Steve Alford was still the coach at, at New Mexico at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, I don't know if you know this, but Steve Alford's first D1 job was at Missouri State back then yep. known as SMS. Yeah. Um, and so it was the first time he had gone against, you know, Missouri State slash SMS since he left. Um, and so we flew into Albuquerque and, and, you know, we would fly all the time, but I didn't realize how windy Albuquerque was. I mean, that was, oh, yeah. and I fly all the time. That was the most rough flight I've ever been on going into Albuquerque. And then, you know, you're going to the pits and you can't hear. We're literally having to hold up sign to call our plays. That's how loud it is. But you're right. It's just a fantastic uh, arena. And it's one of those where uh, I definitely enjoyed uh, going to the pit. That's the only Mountain West uh, arena I believe I've been to. uh, But definitely uh, probably the favorite venue that I personally uh, went to as well. So I can agree with you on that. Yeah, you know, it was funny, New Mexico, and what you said is right, and when, when we would fly in, we'd be flying in from Colorado, and flying out of Colorado is always bumpy, because you've got all the mountains around, so you want to get on a bumpy flight, do, do Denver to Albuquerque, and that's probably going to be the bumpiest flight uh, you've ever been on in your life. Uh, that, is, that is such a loud venue. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't a big fan of Steve Alford. He's uh, he's not my favorite coach in the world. He he can rub some people the wrong way. And when you were playing against him, uh, he he certainly did uh, rub you the wrong way. New Mexico is one of those programs when I was working force uh really really wanted to beat new mexico one of my favorite moments ever i think new mexico may have been ranked number 12 in the nation and air force was hosting them and a guy by the name of todd fletcher hit a three-point shot from the corner to beat new mexico 
And it was such a great moment. I was in the hospital the night before. I was super sick. And I went to the hospital and I was told not to come in and do the game. And I was not going to miss that game. And Air Force wins it. And it was so awesome. And it's my favorite memory, without a doubt, of doing Air Force basketball. But the guy who was coaching at Air Force during most of my time there was a guy by the name of Dave Pilipovich. And he recently just joined the staff at New Mexico after he was let go at Air Force last year. So now, after all those years, Tyler, of just not liking New Mexico at all, I have to have a soft spot in my heart now for the for Lobo basketball because uh, Dave Pilipovich is there. Absolutely. Yep, 100%. Uh, and uh, fun times of being in college basketball. And it was great having you on, Matt. I tell you what, uh, if you don't mind, let's have you on uh, sometime during the Brewer season if you're uh, – if you've got a little bit of downtime, we'd love to talk about the season for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever uh, whenever you want to chat, I, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Folks, Matt Polly again, you can uh, follow him on Twitter at Matt Polly on air and uh, appreciate uh, having you on again. Thank you.